Okay, back by no one's demand but our own from our DraftKings Sportsbook Studios in sunny, scenic, actually pretty chilly, to be honest with you. It feels like fall, which I'm not sure how I feel about. Regardless, we are in Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the award-winning 615 Sessions podcast powered by the fine folks at Two Rivers Ford and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Everybody should be in their feels after what we witnessed last night. I wanted to wait and tape this podcast until very, very early Tuesday morning. In fact, it's just about 5 a.m. at the time that we're rolling because I wanted to see what the results of Pecorine Day would actually be. The final game of the Nashville Predators regular season, Pecorine in net, a 5-0 shutout against the Carolina Hurricanes. It was as emotional a thing as I've ever seen. So today we're going to talk a lot about the Preds with Adam Vingan and Robbie Stanley of The Athletic and NHL.com, respectively. Then we have your Music City mailbag questions, of course, because I I took a week off last week. I had the second shot of the vaccine. I was feeling kind of sluggish. So the post-draft podcast did not make it, but we have all of your Music City mailbag questions about the draft class that we will get into momentarily. But first, you know that since 1983, Two Rivers Ford, also an official partner of the Nashville Predators, has been taking care of business in the local community with an award-winning customer service team, an award-winning non-commissioned sales staff, and incredibly fantastic American-made Ford vehicles like the Bronco, the F-150, and now the new electric Mach-E Mustang. Two Rivers Ford does it all. That's why they're the people that I trust. It's why I tell you about them each and every week. It's why that they're my go-to dealership here in Middle Tennessee. They've been the go-to dealership in Middle Tennessee for many Tennesseans since 1983. And there's a reason that their formula has worked so well over the decades. Two Rivers Ford, go pay them a visit out in Mount Juliet, just seven miles east of BNA. Or, if you want, just do the whole thing online at tworiversford.com. Let's get to Vingan and Robbie. Back here, 615 Sessions podcast from the DraftKings Sportsbook Studio. The man shaking his head, uh, unkempt head, we should say, is Adam Vingan of The Athletic. At Adam Vigan is where you can follow him. Robbie Stanley of NHL.com and 1025 The Game. Robbie and Rex Road from 6 to 10 a.m. are here on the podcast. Hello, gentlemen. Are you going to tell people why why I was shaking my head? Why don't you set it up? Well, you said, are you ready for an hour of Tebow talk? <laughs> and I said, are the Jacksonville Jaguars the most hated team in the NFL next season? Between, uh, between he- Tebow and... I don't know how you would rate the likability of Trevor Lawrence. I could see him being a guy that most people would like to punch in the face. Wow. <laughs> Robbie, Scott your Lee. thoughts. Got <laughs> league. Adam already wants to punch him. I think Adam's just jealous because Tebow didn't sign with the Saints. And then you could have the Taysom Hill, Tim Tebow, one to punch. Oh, man. That's what you That's what you really need here for just your beloved New Orleans Saints. Making my head explode. Well, yeah, it, Tebow is the reverse Taysom Hill. It's perfect. You can have both sides of all of the offensive, uh, all of the offensive creative possibilities with Sean Payton and two tight ends playing quarterback or whatever you want to call Tebow at this point. I don't know. I watched the beginning of the NFL draft, and it was Marty Smith, I think, who was with uh, with Trevor Lawrence and his family, and. You know, Trevor Lawrence had the the suit with the T-shirt underneath it. Yeah. You, know, you got to be confident to pull off that look. But I could totally see a lot of people wanting to punch that guy in the face. Just he has a punchable face. That doesn't mean he's not a nice guy. He have he has a face look looking like it's chiseled from marble. What do you mean? What are you talking about? This is a, he's statuesque. Everything yeah. about Trevor Lawrence exudes confidence. The jaw structure is freaking unbelievable, man. What I'm saying. 
Well, he's gonna need a he's gonna need a glass jaw with the number of times he's gonna be sacked next season by Bud Dupree. Oh, oh yeah. Okay, yeah. so Vingan is not here for all of his football insights. No. Robbie, you can get football insights from between the hours. Of I have some good football insights. Oh, you don't have shit. You you called me after the <laughs> NFL draft. What are you talking about? You've got some good football insights. All right, the floor. You, you want to do the podcast? Floor is yours. Go ahead. No, you're the you're the host. You had me on, so it's your turn to uh, to facilitate here. Oh, it's my turn to facilitate. I spent yeah, five and a half hours a day facilitating Vingen. I can f- just shut the hell up. Vingen and, and Robbie are here <laughs> to talk about the Nashville Predators because they've stumbled their way into the playoffs. Actually, that's not a fair characterization at all. They've really kicked ass over the last two months in a way that's clear and obvious to everybody. Um, and they have one more game to play at the time of this taping against the Carolina Hurricanes in Bridgestone Arena. But their playoff uh, their playoff series against Carolina is already locked up. So we're going to spend some time on that this afternoon. Uh, but we'll first start with Robbie. Should today officially be Pecorino Day? I think so. I think this is a national holiday, at least here in Nashville. It's a local holiday, I should say. Pecorino Day. It's going to be interesting. He's going to play against Carolina, and we'll see what the future holds for Pecorino and whether or not he's going to be back in Nashville next year, if he's going to keep playing, if he goes and plays maybe somewhere else in Finland, it's going to be interesting to see what he does on that front. But uh, I think certainly uh, the the atmosphere at Bridgestone Arena is going to be awesome. And uh, just everybody knows, if you paid attention to the Predators long enough, I mean, the guy has been the Nashville Predators. I mean, that's what he is. He's been the Nashville Predators. He's far and away the most popular guy they've ever had. He's the most beloved player they ever had, and he will be the first player to have his number retired at Bridgestone Arena. So all intents and purposes, Buck, today is Pecorino Day. Making your thoughts. Has it been formally declared by John Cooper that today is Pecorino Day? I, I haven't seen any legislation signed into law, but I'll uh, I'll keep you updated. Okay. With the Tebow and the Jags news, it's the only thing that anybody's going to talk about. But I'll see. Actually, John Tim Tebow play. Day here in Nashville um, for the next three months across the country and anywhere sports are talked. Yes, I was really hoping that he would have a more productive baseball baseball career personally. But anyway, shut up and talk about Pecorino. What are you doing today? What is this? What is this? Started t- it. No, no, no. This started is, I didn't it. start it. You have been particularly awful today, and the podcast has been wow. going on for five minutes. You Rude. Can't- <laughs> All right, let me actually talk about the things you had me on to talk about. Um, so Pecorino will start tonight against the Carolina Hurricanes, as Robbie noted. It will be Pekka's first appearance in exactly a month, April tenth was the last time that Pecorine played a game, which is an eternity for a goaltender who used to start 70-plus games a season. Right. Um, and I imagine it's going to be a, a fairly emotional game, especially for it being a relative, well, not relatively, a completely meaningless game as it relates to the standings and whatnot, because we know what the playoff series is going to be. The Predators, you know, certainly could try to gain some momentum by beating the Hurricanes for a second consecutive game. But ultimately, the point of this game is to make sure that nobody important gets injured. Um, But when I think about what the future might hold for Pecorine, I'm unconvinced that he's going to retire Um, I I still believe he wants to play, although he has really no reason to, um, he, he's had a, a, an excellent career. He's made a lot of money. He's, he has a, a a brand new baby boy born in December, I believe. Um, so he has everything he could possibly want. And the question will be is if, if this is it for Pecorino in a Predators uniform, you know, what could be next? You know, he told me in March that he wanted to retire as a member of the Nashville Predators. So I have a hard time imagining him playing for another NHL team, but it's possible he could return to his home country of Finland and and play for a team over there. Um, There have been conversations between Pekka 
and uh, his hometown team, I believe it is, uh, the team that he started his professional career with, about the possibility of joining them if he decides to move on from the NHL. Um, but nothing has been decided. But, you know, regardless, you know, tonight is expected to be, at least from the fans' perspective, a celebration of Pecorine for everything that he has done for this organization, as Robbie said. Um, Pekka is the most important player in Predators franchise history. Is he the best player? He could be. And, and there are others who could certainly stake their claim to that title. But in terms of how important he has been to this team, how entrenched he is in the community, um, all of the work he does with the Children's Hospital at Vanderbilt, um, Best Buddies, all of those charitable endeavors, um, you know, Pecorine will, will be, forever be beloved in this city. So if this is the last opportunity that Predators fans might have to see him start a home game, you know, I, I certainly believe that they'll give him a hero's welcome slash ovation. Hey, I mean, Robbie, it's, it's being said from the fan perspective, because the team, I don't think they're going to, it's not like they can officially like celebrate Pecorine and his career and his retirement at this point, even though from, from all standpoints, it seems it's probably going to end up being his last game. I mean, how, how could they, how can they do this without really doing it? Or does it even factor into what goes on tonight? Yeah, it, that's going to be really interesting because look, I mean, they, they may not know what his decision is. They may not know how this is going to play out, but I think you've got to approach it as if it might be the last game. Like it would suck to get all the way through this and then for him to make a decision you know, in the summertime to say he's not coming back, whether he's going home to play in Finland or he's just done and that's it. And you have nothing like you had this game come and go. And that was the last time that we saw Pecorine and net here in Nashville and nothing happened. Like there was no video, there was no acknowledgement of him, nothing. So I'm very fascinated to see how they're going to handle this. Like, I think it's okay to acknowledge Pecorine while still recognizing you might bring him back still. Like, I think, I think that absolutely could happen. I don't know how you exactly, go about doing that if you're the Predators. And remember, like, what could also happen is UC Soros could go down in game one of the playoffs, and then he's your guy. Like, he's your guy moving forward here. So there's a lot of things that could happen here. If you're the organization, it's kind of a weird spot. And John Hines at the morning skate, I mean, he was basically asked about it and really didn't want anything to do with it. Like, he just talked about the, the game itself, the game, you know, what they're going to do in terms of the approach to the game, and didn't speculate on the future for Pekka or anything like that. So – it's kind of a weird spot to be in. I'm interested to see, you know, not only how does the game handle it, but like how does the TV broadcast handle it? Like if there's this big standing ovation for Pecorine in the third period when the game's winding down, like do you just kind of cut away and show that? Like do you do you keep calling the game as normal? Like it's it's going to be, I think, a really unique environment in Bridgestone. And really the, the really sucky part about it is I know that they've had more capacity and you've had, you know, I think, 7,000 fans were in there Saturday night but it really sucks that you can't have a full barn for this because you talk about a special environment. It would be awesome if, if Bridgestone was full for this. Yeah. Well, now to, to the actual hockey team, because not to, not to discount anything about Pekka, but he really hasn't factored in the way that the other guy was, as Ed, has, as Vingen pointed out a month since he's last seen the ice and everything, even on Saturday night, UC Soros has been spectacular. In fact, I think he's the biggest reason that their season has turned around so dramatically as it has. So with, with what, what you're looking at right now, is it, is it just as simple as improved play in goal or is there a more, is there a larger picture view to this thing? Because we're, we were talking about John, or at least I was talking about John Hines and David Poyle needing to be out two months ago. And now everything's turned on its face. All of the highly paid players have seemed to God help me vibe much better with each other don't you can say don't. it just just do it you're, you're, it's your fault by the way Vingen's like, gonna turn the thing off he's already Robbie's been fault. for it it is robbie's fault this is and i love i love robbie for obvious reasons we can't talk on the radio on a regular basis but like this is this is i hate this thing and it's all your fault and yeah. it's, it's totally uh totally innocuous <laughs> innocuous uh comment by ryan johansson the team just ran into the ground in a way it's just the worst, the absolute did worst. Shirt? Did I get you? No, I didn't get me a shirt. <laughs> I get a shirt. 
with his God. face on it, not just Come a on. shirt, a shirt with Robbie's face. Okay, on with it. with Robbie's face on it, I would consider it because Robbie is one of my dear friends and I love him very much. But also, you and this vibe thing can go straight into the sun because it's one of the most annoying, irritating things, especially that EDM mix that they put out. It just made me want to punch, you. ram my head Thank into the you. wall. Make it stop. Do, Do I something. get a Stanley Cup ring if they win this thing? Like, is that, is that part of what we negotiate in this thing? You tell me. You're the one whose face is on the T-shirt. Well, we'll have to find out. Let's find out what goes on there. But, Buck, to your point, I mean, it's been incredible to see this turnaround. You mentioned UC Soros. I mean, he's been awesome. I mean, he's got like a 941 save percentage in his last 26 games. I mean, he's been absolutely unreal. So, when you talk about the turnaround for this group, to me, that's where it starts. Like, UC Soros has been awesome. And when you get goaltending, it's been that good. You're going to give yourself a chance to win every single night. But I think there are there is this view out there that I don't subscribe to and that it's, oh, it's just a goaltender. Like, that's all that's changed with this team. It's just the goalie, and that's it. And I think that's crap. Like, I, I think if you watch this team play, they are noticeably different from where they were to begin this season. And I think part of that is the buy-in, and I think the young players have a lot to do with that. They come in, and they actually look like they give a crap about playing hockey, and there's a desperation level to them as well which I think, quite honestly, is sort of an indictment on some of these veteran players that it took the young guys coming in to kick them in the butt like this and, and for them to get to this point where they bought in, they see that what John Hines has been preaching the whole time works. And now, I mean, it's pretty clear, like if you're a veteran guy and you're looking around the lineup right now with the way that they played, you have to buy in or you're not going to play. Like, I don't know how you look your teammates in the eye with the way that they played lately and the, and the style that they've had and not buy into that. So it's been really fascinating to see kind of that culture change, which is the most overused term in all of sports, happen as quickly as it has. And I think the young players have really been the ones that have, have driven that for the Predators. Yeah, I mean, Vigan, we're talking, we're talking about like where throughout the course of all of the injuries that they've had over the season, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, Matt Duchesne or now Victor Arvidsson, who's missed a handful of games, and you're looking at these high-priced pro- high veteran players who are largely Duchesne, the exception, but the guys who they've paid from the Stanley Cup run in 2017 uh, looked lethargic at, at best in the first half of this season where I think they started 11-16-1. Now, they over the, over the last two months, they've been the best team in hockey. Is... I guess what I'm looking for is it's sustainable because we're taping this obviously before they play Carolina on Monday night, but Saturday was the first win that they've gotten over Carolina all season long. Now they could go as many as a best of nine because that is who of course they will face in their first round playoff series is Carolina could win the, the president's trophy is, are they capable of doing anything against a team like this? Well, I think Robbie, nailed it when he was talking about the culture change, which I agree is a overused term in professional sports, but in this case, it's applicable. Um, I believe that a sense of complacency had uh, permeated the Predators dressing room in, in recent seasons. And I think even at the beginning of this season, it was still there which contributed to their poor record. As you said, Buck, 11, 16, and one at the halfway point. I believe they were 26th in the NHL out of 31 teams at that time um, before this 19, seven, and one run that they're currently on, which by the way, over the course of a full season is roughly a 118 point pace. So are the Predators a 118 point team? No, but they're not as bad as they were in the first half. They're somewhere in the middle. Ultimately the predators ended up where a lot of people thought they would at the beginning of the season, which is as a fourth place team, a bubble team, a team that was going to take the entire schedule or close to the entire schedule to get into the playoffs. I don't think anybody expected them to hit rock bottom as they did in the first half of the season, but ultimately Uh, It worked out that way. Um, So do I think they stand a legitimate chance in a first round series against the Hurricanes? No, I still believe the Predators will lose that series. Then again, I've been terrible at making predictions. Um, I predicted on the Athletic 
less than a month ago that the stars were going to get the fourth spot in the central division. Um, I think I picked against the predators in the first two rounds of the 2017 playoffs and they ultimately won both of those series. So usually whatever I say, the opposite happens. Um, But what I saw from them on Saturday is it doesn't appear that the, that the Predators will be steamrolled by the Hurricanes as I expected them to. If you watch those first six games of the season, the Predators lost all six of those games against the Hurricanes. They weren't particularly close, even if the score was. I think back to the game uh, in mid-April, I think it was April 17th, they allowed 48 shots on goal in that game, and I think 24 of them were in the first period. Yeah, they got picked. Um, yeah, so things look better. I, I still think the Predators can be competitive in a first-round series against the Hurricanes, but to your point, Buck, we've talked about the young players who have emerged over the past number of months. We think of the likes of Yakov Trenin, Tanner Janot, Matthew Olivier, Alexander Carrier, uh, Ellie Tolvanen, among others. But who are we not talking about? We're not talking about Philip Forsberg, who granted was out for a month. We're not talking about Ryan Johansson. We're not talking, well, we, we weren't talking about Matthew Shane because he was also injured for six weeks. But then when he came back, there was a lot of talk about, well, should he even get back into the lineup because the team is doing so well without him? And, and Victor Arvidsson, who seemed to find a groove before he was injured. But we're not mentioning any of those players. Right. If you look at the other side, if you look at Carolina, they have Sebastian Ajo, they have Andrei Svechnikov, they have Vincent Trocek, they have Jordan Stahl. They have big forwards, big skilled forwards who have produced when, when called upon the same can't be said about their counterparts on the, on the predators. So despite everything that's gone well this season, or at least well during the second half of the season, there are, there is still that question about whether the highest paid forwards on this team are the type of players who can lead a team to a championship. And, and I, and I think fans have every right to continue to be skeptical about that. Your Aho joke on Twitter on Saturday night was so such, such a cheap, uh, cheap way to get likes like shame on you really, but it wasn't that your whole Twitter persona, a cheap way to get likes. No, no, he's not Robbie. I've made an entire career on a very successful career out of it. So hell yeah. 1000%. That's the only reason I would also that I sit like in front to of- note, just to keep the continuity of the podcast going, that the number one song in America, the last time Tim Tebow started an NFL game, was Locked Out of Heaven by Bruno. What Mark. are you talking about? I just saw it on Twitter, so I just wanted to pass that along. Thank you for okay. pre- thanking, thanking, thank you for being president in the middle of the podcast. Apparently, Tinder also did not exist, so for all of y'all that have hooked up between now and then, no, t- Tinder, Tinder didn't. Tinder wasn't a thing until my freshman year of college, no, sophomore year of college, because I remember downloading it in the class for like 30 minutes and then realizing. paying attention, downloading Tinder during a class. You know, I I went to school for sports broadcasting. All I have to do is read a teleprompter well and not trip all over myself. And you could still get a job even if you do that in sports broadcasting, turns out. Mm Anyway, uh, yeah, no, it was all it was all uh, hairdressers and not that there's anything wrong with the hairdressing profession, but hairdressers and underage uh, children. And I felt like I was going to do be doing something illegal on there. So I very quickly offloaded the download of Tinder on my phone. Hmm. (laughs) Well done. Yeah. You know, head on a swivel. You got to you got to be aware. Um, So with with Poyle and with Heinz, obviously, I think that John Hines has been substantially more vindicated, even though Poyle's roster is doing what it's doing right now from a depth standpoint, from the younger player standpoint that they've brought in. Obviously, this is the team that David Poyle built, and it's Hines' responsibility to basically get them to function at a higher level than they were when they uh, relieved Peter Laviolette of his duties. But does, does it change does the la- the events of the last two months, I don't know how it couldn't change your opinions. And I, I don't know how the two of you really felt about Hines and Laviola, or excuse me, Hines and uh, Poyle prior to everything going in the dumpster. I don't think we've talked about this collectively since probably before the trade deadline. But d- does it affect your opinions of either of them and their performance 
understanding what Vingan said about this being kind of where they were supposed to end up, even if it didn't look so lopsided from one half of the season to the next. Well, I think think it certainly, it, it validates John Hines. I think, like you said, because the noise on him was loud. Quite honestly, like I I didn't understand that you just moved on from a coach to me, the next logical step is going to be the general manager. It's not going to be the coach that you just brought in. And I get it. John Hines, when he got hired by the predators, it was not a very popular hire with Predators fans. He just right. got fired with New Jersey. There's no track record in the NHL that suggests that he was going to be, you know, a Stanley Cup winning head coach. But I think he has done a heck of a job. Like, I, I think he has been awesome. And he's not going to win Coach of the Year. And I'm not, I'm not even saying he, he should be nominated for Coach of the Year. But he's – this last couple of months stretch, he's done that good of a job where I, if he got a couple of votes for it, I, I wouldn't be surprised. He's been that good. The David Poyle thing is interesting to me because – I think you've got to keep in mind a couple of things. Yes, this turnaround has been great, and I think you feel a lot better about the direction this team is heading than you did this time a couple months ago. But you also have to keep in mind that with the contracts that David Poyle has signed, this team is still supposed to be in a window where they're competing for a Stanley Cup championship. Yeah, And they're not. Like I, Maybe they go on some run here in the playoffs like they did in 2017, and they surprise everybody, and they're right back on the doorstep of competing. I have my doubts about that. And you've got right now, I mean, two anchors down the middle at Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne that you're paying $8 million a year to who are just not bringing you much in terms of production. So I think you can feel better about the trajectory of this team if you're a Predators fan. I mean, we were talking about, you know, blowing this whole thing up. David Poyle may be fired. John Hines might be fired. Like all these conversations were on the table a couple of months ago. So you certainly feel better about that. I don't, I don't think that a, a total teardown is necessary anymore. But I think you also have to keep in mind that Ryan Ellis is like 30 years old. Roman Yossi's 30. Ryan Johansson's 28. Matt Duchesne's 30. This team still should be in a window where they're competing for a Stanley Cup championship. And with some of the deals that have been made, some of the contracts that have been signed, they're not. I don't know how that can't be on David Poyle either. So I don't think he's going to get fired. I don't think anything's going to happen this offseason. He'll still be the general manager next season. But I don't think this last two-month stretch just absolves everything and you move forward from here. Vengen, you want to bring your dog in the room? Yeah, Pretzel was very excited by the UPS driver who pulled up. That's all right. I was having the, t- the cat kept jumping on my desk while Robbie was talking to start the podcast. I kept having to subtly pick it up and move it. I thought Pretzel, I told, I thought Pretzel's I that languishing. He found out at the vet last week that he's a couple pounds overweight. So oh, he's, act, he's acting yeah. out. Well, the pandemic hit all of us. Yeah, he's been on some Most of the yet. same spots. So I mean, it's my fault. I was giving him ribs last week. Oh. It. You feed but, your dog ribs? Well, I eat the ribs and then I pick a couple pieces off okay. and give it to him. I wasn't giving him like a full rack, but I don't know, Vingan. <laughs> I mean, I'm preparing for fatherhood here. I know that I have to, I have to be careful with my with my babies, my fur babies, and my soon to be actual baby. Oh Jesus Christ! And anyway, <laughs> you'll you, both of you will figure that out one day. Um, to, to answer the question. Um, and I don't have any more Tim Tebow fun facts, but okay, to answer the question, um, I I believe John Hines should be seriously considered for the Jack Adams Award. I don't believe he will, um, mostly because the team started off so poorly. There are other coaches um, who have done a really great job from start to finish um, in terms of the, the team's record. I think over at the Athletic today. Um, our insider Pierre Lebrun polled NHL GMs, who, by the way, don't vote on the award. Uh, the NHL Broadcasters Association votes on the award, but I think Rod Brindamore, the Hurricanes head coach, was the was the favorite in the informal poll. Um, but to echo Robbie's comments, the Predators don't do what they did without John Hines, and when when John got here. And, and as Robbie said, it was definitely not a popular hire, um, mostly because it happened the following day after Peter Laviolette was fired. It would be one thing if, um, if they had an interim coach and took the rest of the season under, under said interim coach and then did a coaching search in the offseason and, and decided on John. Um, not sure how much more popular the pick would have been then, but I think what always has stuck in the craw of Predators fans who were against the hire was that it happened the next day. 
Peter Laviolette was dismissed on a Monday, I believe. And the following morning, John Hines was being introduced as the head coach of the Nashville Predators. But it sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier, that John inherited a team that was one, fragile by their own admission. I always tend to be cautious of playing amateur psychologist when it comes to other people, but players in that dressing room have said that they were mentally fragile, quote unquote, um, over the past couple of years. So he, he got, he had to deal with that, but he also had to get the players, particularly those veteran players who might not have put in uh, the, the proper amount of work to buy into that, that amount of work. And I talked to John the other day for future stories. And he mentioned to me that, you know, regardless of what happens in the playoffs, what needed to happen with this group from a cultural standpoint happened that there needed to be a redefinition of work ethic in his words. And, and I think you're seeing that from a lot of the older players. Um, It's not perfect, but I think for the first time in, in years, the players that constitute the core of this team, you know, are playing like they were when they weren't making huge money and they were still trying to prove themselves in the NHL. And, 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 and one, one example of that is when you look at all of the players who were hurt and the, when they've come back from injury, almost all of them have been better because of what they witnessed while they were out. Luke Cunnan, I think, had two goals before he was hurt in late February. He comes back a month later, and now he can't stop scoring. And he had two goals on Saturday. Um, I think Victor Arvidsson, who was – Robbie can correct me if I'm wrong. Victor Arvidsson was out for a little while, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and he came back. There are so many injuries I have a hard time keeping track. Even Roman Yossi, like – Roman Yossi won the Norris trophy last year. He's the best defenseman in the league. And even Roman is playing on a different level since coming back from injury. And I I think it's because while those players were out, they knew that it wasn't going to be, you know, that they had to be a little uncomfortable because these other players were performing well. And it wasn't a guarantee that some of the guys who were hurt were automatically going to be reinserted into the lineup. Now, Roman Yossi, of course, was going to be put back into the lineup, but it wasn't a guarantee. Um, you know, think of someone like Matthew Olivier, not a star, but a player who, who, who carved out a role and he's been hurt. Tanner Janot comes in, you know, Matthew Olivier is not a guaranteed to get back in the lineup. Tanner, Tanner Janot has been great, you know, since being in the lineup. So, you know, that's my long winded way of saying that John Hines deserves a ton of credit. Um, I agree that, you know, UC Saros has played a huge role in this, but I think John Hines might be second. Um, for getting this team to change its mindset. As for David Poyle, it's hard um, because you know, last time I talked to you, Buck, we were on with Alex Darty, and, and I think both of us believe that the best thing for the organization would be to move on from David Poyle. And I agree with Robbie that it's unlikely to happen. Um, but you know, one thing that fans point to is, well, the younger players are a large reason why this team has been playing better. Why weren't they in the lineup from the get-go? You know, why did Ellie Tolvanen start the season on the taxi squad? Why did Alex Carrier start the season in the AHL? Why did Yakov Trenin start the season as a healthy scratch? You know, if these younger players were in the lineup from the beginning, you know, perhaps the season would not have gone off the rails in the first half. So, while perhaps the heat has died down on David, I still believe that he's in the crosshairs of a lot of fans. And uh, I'm not sure exactly what it's going to take for him to get out of there. It might be finding a way to offload one of those high paid forwards um, in the off season, which will be very difficult to do. Megan, I don't know if you're uh, capable of answering a question in five seconds, but how many touchdowns does Tim Tebow catch for the Jags against the Titans this year? One. One? One and two games. Robbie? Uh, one jump pass. No receiving touchdowns, a jump pass touchdown on the line. Yeah, God, help me. Give me three touchdowns in week 18 against the Tennessee Titans to keep yes. them out of the playoffs because that's exactly how this thing is. How going. will the three touchdowns be scored? That's what you deserve. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know, but I'm sure it'll be creative. And I'm One sure. rushing, one receiving, one passing. 
it's it's only right. This is uh, this is what we're all destined to for the next three months, or at least until he gets cut in training camp. Adam Vingan, you can read him at the Athletic. Well worth your subscription, especially now that the postseason is officially here. Uh, what's the name of the podcast that you do for Four Forty Vingan? The Gold Standard. Well, that's our friend Braden Gall on Four Forty Sports. Subscribe, rate, review wherever it is. That yes. you get your podcast, Robbie Stanley of Robbie and Rex Road, 6 to 10 a.m. on 1025 The Game, and of course on NHL.com. Thank you, boys. It was fun. Thanks, fellas. Music City Mailbag is coming your way momentarily, right after a quick reminder about DraftKings Sportsbook. Big names are headlining this weekend's UFC 262 card from Nate Diaz to the local kid, Michael Chandler. I don't know if I should call him a kid. He's like 10 years older than me. But regardless, Michael Chandler of Nashville, Tennessee, going to be a great fight. There will be no shortage of action. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, has a heavyweight offer just for you. This weekend's fight with 100 to 1 odds is the offer that they have. One fighter will be walking away with the belt, but the question is, will you be walking away with the cash? Just pick the main event fighter you think will win, and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 100 to 1 odds on that fighter. Very simple. Just download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code A2Z Sports. That's A-T-O-Z Sports. When you sign up to turn $1 into $100 when you bet on a main card fighter to win. Place your bet and watch the fists fly this weekend. That's code A to Z Sports to turn $1 into $100 on select main card fighters for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Tennessee only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, Call or text the Tennessee Red Line, 1-800-889-9789. All right, Warner08, a regular commenter here on the mailbag. Hey, man, I had a question for you, and I know you have a busy day, so if I if you, if you don't see it, shit happens. So this was, this was Thursday night of the draft, which, of course, I didn't see it. Uh, if you had to put a bet on who the Titans take, do you have a player your gut tells you is a good bet or is this legit up in the air for the first round? Also, I listened to you all day yesterday, waiting to get my second vaccine shot, and the show was good with all the insiders. Oh, well, I'm, I, I appreciate. Uh, I assume he was talking about the radio show. But regardless, thank you for the question. So obviously the Titans picked Caleb Farley in the first round. Um, and I thought about, because I had Elijah Molden, the second of the Titans' third-round picks, the defensive back, the Jedi in the slot, as Lewis Riddick called him. On the radio show, I thought about just putting this in the podcast, but at, at this point it would have been a little a little far removed. So they obviously selected Caleb Farley in the first round. I, I don't know that that was going to be their selection the entire time. It worked out very well for them because they did like Caleb Farley throughout the course of the draft process. John Robinson told us that the medicals were okay for the Titans medical staff and that they had seen several NFL injuries, and this was something, the two back procedures, the latest being on March the 23rd, they felt comfortable with where he was. Now, The Athletic ran a an, an execs unfiltered piece that Mike Sando does at least once a year, and they were getting ripped. The Titans were getting ripped for their selection of Caleb Farley because the medicals were, quote, a nightmare, according to an anonymous exec. So take that for what it's worth. I don't know that I would have bet money on Caleb Farley. I mean, I don't bet on anything Titans just because uh, it's a moral, not, maybe not a moral conflict, but it's a it's a job conflict. <laughs> I don't bet. I bet on everything else, but not the Titans. So I did select him. This is the second year in a row. Not, uh, not that it matters, but it's the second year in a row that I've gotten the pick right for the Titans. And I do know that they were very, very interested in him if he did indeed fall to where they were picking. They didn't have to trade up. They probably could have moved back. I know they did field some calls, but I think Caleb Farley, if he's right, it makes all the sense in the world. And honestly, if they were to take a gamble anywhere, I would rather them do it in the first round than anywhere else. 
Tennessee underscore man writes in, Buck, I don't love the pick, talking about Caleb Farley. Maybe J-Rob sees something we don't, but I am not in love with it. I would have went pass rusher, wide receiver second, and cornerback third. (laughs) And then he writes back in after the draft is concluded, this draft is god-awful for the Titans. (laughs) I don't know if you still feel that way, but obviously the, the Rashad Weaver thing, has, uh, has since taken place. It's problematic. Um, I mean, there was nothing sexy about it, right? They, they waited until the fourth round to take a wide receiver in Des Fitzpatrick. They took two defensive backs in Farley and Molden, a linebacker in between, an inside linebacker, much less, in between. And I really liked the Rashad Weaver pick until, of course, it got blown up in, in their faces because he had a simple assault charge that somehow made it through their draft vetting process. Uh, it's... I don't hate their draft. Like I don't hate it the way the rest the way that most people seem to hate it cuz I understand that this roster, the depth on it is as bad as anything else. Like I I'm, I'm fully prepared for the offense to take not one but two steps back. I've been saying that for several weeks now. Like I'm not I'm not of the unrealistic ex- expectation that they're going to be scoring 30 points plus a game anymore. But hopefully If you're a Titans fan, if you're somebody who's putting together this roster, the new defense, because the defense is basically all new, you could have as many as six or seven. Honestly, new starters on defense where you were just looking for them to shuffle around a few more parts, add a pass rusher or two, they very much revamped the whole unit. So you can't spend all year. The way that I look at it is you can't spend all year an entire calendar year and a full football season bitching about the defense. And then when they give you a new defense, continue to bitch. Like, I just don't understand where, where the, where the disconnect is. Now, this was a wide receiver draft that had a ton of depth and they put the depth to the test with Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth. Now they traded up to get him. So you can tell that they did not see the same kind of evaluations that had Des Fitzpatrick as a sixth or even a seventh round selection. They did end up taking Racy McMath, who is, I'm still not certain, is a real person, just a, an incredible name, in the sixth round. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I understand why people are unsatisfied with it. There's nothing sexy about it. YOLO underscore double underscore pineapple. It's your ninth least favorite fan. He writes on he writes on Instagram. All of our picks have been playing for at least four years. All seniors or redshirt juniors. Makes me think that J-Rob didn't really care about talent but was looking for maturity. Isaiah Wilson effect, question mark. Yeah, I think there's a degree of truth to that. I really do. Uh, well, maybe not talent because, you know, talent... Caleb Farley was best player available. Like, he's overwhelmingly talented. It's just that he's got two back procedures on his record, which, you know, is enough to cause at least 21 other teams concern because they didn't take him before the Titans got to him at 22. All And, by the way, he hasn't been playing for at least four years because he opted out last year. So that is an incorrect statement. What I'll say to you is that they did clearly – value their interactions with these guys at the senior bowl because six of the players, six of the eight that they took are all guys that they met with at the senior bowl. It was one of the few times without the combine that they could have face-to-face interactions. So what I'll say to you, Pineapple, is that maturity was definitely something that they put an emphasis on. They were looking for low-risk individuals high character, high work ethic, which should always be the case to a degree. But then, you know, the Weaver thing, like we said, blew up in their face. So super problematic. Safety Lacey, safety underscore Lacey. Couldn't ask this in the A to Z post because it was too long, but what's your thoughts on this Aaron Rodgers saga and similar issues with high-end caliber profile players, Watson, Wilson? I understand that they are amazing players and you can't typically replace them. However, when did the NFL become run by the players and not by the GMs and owners. If players get upset because they are drafting their replacement, which will eventually happen, all of these star players will start doing this. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, I, uh, I'm I, so with Aaron Rodgers. Like, get the hell out of here with the Green Bay Packers. And and here's, here's the disconnect, right? Because I'm not a fan of a football team, so I don't care what the players do to the teams. Like, 
it's it affects me zero because I don't have a rooting interest, right? We talk about this all the time. I'm a Titans reporter. I have day-to-day interactions with your favorite team. It is not my favorite team. I do not have a favorite team. But fans are not interested in, in, in player empowerment because they are interested in what's best for the team. And so if you're a Packers fan, the thing that's best for your team is for Aaron Rodgers to shut up and play, <laughs> like to get the hell over himself. Whereas I'm looking at this and being like, Aaron Rodgers is the whole reason any of you have jobs at all. Because without Aaron Rodgers, it would be uh, it would be a, a hole in the ground, Green Bay. Clearly, Jordan Love isn't good enough. They kept a third quarterback last year for a reason. Clearly, he's still not good enough because they are unwilling to trade Aaron Rodgers. And yeah, Aaron Rodgers threw a hissy on day one of the draft. Also, with the Adam Schefter reporting however you want to look at it, where he's saying he doesn't technically have sources, but he's just putting everything together and running with it on the day of the draft in Cleveland in a way that, you know, was a little bit journalistically questionable. If you're not, if you're anyone but Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter can do that because he is the GOAT in terms of reporting in the NFL. But anybody else would be just buried for what he did. What I'll say to you is is that I'm so down with Aaron Rodgers, whether he's telling people, teammates in his group text, as Bob McGinn of The Athletic reported, telling teammates in his group text that he's Michael Jordan and, and Brian Gutekunst, who's the uh, also a ridiculous name, the executive in charge of personnel for the Packers is Jerry Krause of the Chicago Bulls. When we all watched the last dance and saw how Jerry kind of tanked the franchise and tanked the relationship with Michael. Yeah, I'm do do what you want. If you can take if you as an employee can take more power into your hands when so few of us as employees are capable of doing so, more power to you. Hold hold them hostage. It's so rare that employees have legitimate leverage. And when you do, I am always of the opinion that when you have leverage, go for the throat. That's what Aaron Rodgers is doing. So I hope that act answers your question. Smash-tastic on Instagram. Tell me we traded up for a bottom of the barrel in terms of draft-wide receivers. Man, this draft is becoming highly questionable. And he sent me an article in, a, uh, in Sports Illustrated. One, one Titans pick pegged a pre-draft potential bust, and it is Des Fitzpatrick, the wide receiver that they took in the fourth they traded up for. Yeah, I had a conversation with Robert Simpson of uh, from a website called the 33rd Team. It's a new draft website that's run by that's I think I think Mike Tannenbaum the former Dolphins GM has some kind of ownership stake in it but they 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 cover the draft from a variety of different angles scouting analytics and this there's was an analytics article that basically had by the and it's called ASI I need to look up exactly what ASI stands for again to make sure that I'm giving you guys an accurate description but it's basically an athletic success indicator, if I remember correctly. Athletic success indicator is what ASI is described as. And so Robert Simpson was writing an article about ASI in football and how how it can help. Now, it doesn't determine, it does not guarantee that Des Fitzpatrick Fitzpatrick is going to be a bust, but it does, it is a fair, uh, it's, it's a better indicator is what we're looking for. We're just looking for smarter ways to cover the draft, right? So the athletic success indicator is something that had Des Fitzpatrick uh, scored with a a final score of 11, which is just above Laquan Treadwell, who was a first-round bust. Now, there's a difference. When you're taking Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth and Laquan Treadwell in the first, you're obviously talking about a different level of investment. And if your fourth-round pick ends up with the career of Laquan Treadwell, I mean, it's, it's less offensive to you than... If Laquan Treadwell was your first round pick and had the career or lack thereof that Laquan Treadwell did, but it's certainly going to be something to monitor with Des Fitzpatrick. I think that he's, I think that he's capable. I think that he comes from an offense that's pretty unconventional in Louisville, so there's going to have to be some refinement. But I love the way that he talked about his releases being modeled off Devontae Adams. I know Greg Cosell of NFL Films loves him and compares him. To, I mean, it's not saying that he's going to be Devontae Adams because he Devontae Adams was the best wide receiver in the sport last year. But if that is what a version of what you get, I think you're going to feel pretty good about getting Des Fitzpatrick where you did. We will see. 
Ethan is a father on Instagram. Before we get to the question, I just want to let you know I'm a huge fan of all your work and listen whenever I can, even here in Canada. Oh, well, thank you. I'm the Canadian underscore Titan who always posts your zoomed in pictures on post. Anyway, Buck, here's a question. What are some of the biggest fan overreactions you have seen during this offseason? If any come to mind. I mean, sure. Fan. <laughs> There's plenty. The uh, the fire John Robinson opinions right after the draft concluded because we spent two and a half months talking about the depth of the wide receiver class and then when John and Vrabel and the staff put the depth of the wide receiver class to the test by taking one in the fourth, everybody freaked out. Like we haven't been talking about this for two and a half months, so I thought that was dumb. Um, in terms of fan reactions to the offseason, I assume, I don't know if he's just talking about the Titans. But the overreaction with Shane Bowen, to be honest with you, like I think I think that Shane Bowen is so unfairly labeled because of the lack of talent on this roster. And apparently John Robinson and Mike Vrabel too uh, think this as well because they went and got Shane Bowen an entirely new defense and said, yeah, it's not as much about the coaching as it is about we can't get pressure on the quarterback with Wyatt Ray and Tuzar Skipper when the two guys that we paid $21.75 million did not produce to rush the passer in, in Clowney and Beasley. So I think I think the entire Shane Bowen thing has just been so overrated uh, or so so overreactionary because you don't I really don't think anybody knows at this point still whether Shane Bowen's a good or bad coach. I think that it's tough to come into a role as a first time play caller in the middle of a global pandemic where we're all having to relearn our jobs, much less how you teach and coach over Zoom as opposed to doing it in physical practices. I think that there's only he can only go up from from last year, right? It's not like they're going to get less than 19 sacks. It's not like they're going to perform worse on third down. It would be almost impossible for them to perform worse in those two categories. Getting to the quarterback, 19, 19 sacks for a playoff team is tied for the lowest amount of sacks on a quarterback for a team that made the postseason. And of course, we know that the 51 plus percent conversion uh, that they allowed on third downs by opponents is historically worse. <laughs> the historically worst in the NFL. So you can't do much worse than that unless you're going to set yet another historic close. And I feel like the, the odds of that happening in back-to-back seasons, probably not great. So those two things really, really stood out to me. Um, I just, I, I, I know it's a lot to ask for people to be rational in these situations, but just let it play out. You have no idea what Shane Bowen's going to be capable of or not capable of when things finally take place. All right, two more because it's been a long mailbag and I want to get through these because everybody has been waiting patiently for their ma- mailbag questions to be answered. And again, I apologize for the delay. Worst. Puka underscore hair says, so she's talking about draft picks. Worst selection for her, Monty Rice, inside linebacker, question mark. Did they mix up inside and outside? Best Weaver on the incident. Worst thing happened to you, nighttime partying here. Most embarrassing thing you did. Oh, goodness. Um, So I think she had submitted this. Yeah, this was the day before Rashad Weaver got uh, the... Report from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette dropped about him being charged with simple assault on April the 18th. There was about 12 days between the time that Rashad Weaver allegedly, well, not allegedly, he was charged, had a simple assault incident in Pittsburgh, and then uh, and then the charge, the complaint was officially filed Friday. Weaver got drafted Saturday. The Titans got caught with their pants down because they didn't know about it. So... Monty Rice, I'm not, I'm not banged up about. Like Rashawn Evans is probably gone. Rashawn Evans or Jayon Brown is probably gone. You needed another linebacker next year, and if they're both gone, then you're probably still going to draft another inside linebacker. Also, you technically didn't on the roster have a backup for, for Rashawn Evans if something went wrong. So now you have that in Monty Rice. It's just you know I understand why people would have preferred a wide receiver or even a tight end. Like I can't, I can't justify the tight end the, the or the lack thereof because they didn't pick one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I mean we talked about this with Vingan and with Vingan and Robbie, I guess. But yeah, Tim Tebow's going to play tight end for the Jags, so you missed out on that one too. Um, 
They did get Rashad Weaver, who I thought was their best value pick until, of course, the assault charge came up. The worst thing that happened that's ever happened to me, nighttime partying here. That's a good question. Like in Nashville, I think the worst thing that's ever happened to me is, I mean, I've had some, I've really never had bad experiences. I mean, there may be a bad experience that turned into a good story after the fact, but definitely, oh, definitely. There was a, a night that we went out during the Stanley Cup playoffs. It was when Crazy Town, no free ads, was still a thing. I think, I think, I hope, <laughs> Crazy Town on Broadway has now been shuttered. But before, like, all these mega honky-tonks existed, Acme was still a thing and Rippies and Tootsies and honky-tonk. But, like, Crazy Town was the first, like, half-club, half-honky-tonk that we all used to go to when we first moved down here. And at Crazy Town, where I've had many, many drunken nights, there was a there was always, like, maybe not a full inch, but, like, a half of it, a half-inch of just gross bar liquid always on the floor in crazy town and broken glass and all kinds of terrible, terrible, uh, you know, drunken Broadway bar room type substances. That's just uh, polluting everything around you, but everybody's too drunk to care and you're partying and whatever. So I see while we're at crazy town and this isn't like, this isn't a terrible thing that happened to me. It's just something terrible that I watched play out in front of me. I, I saw a bachelorette party that was in crazy town with me and they will not with me, but just in on the third floor of crazy town in the same space that I was occupying with my friends and, and we're lo- looking at this bachelorette party and, and, you know, after a long day of, of walking around and day drinking, whatever, you know, women sometimes take off their shoes in places where they shouldn't take off their shoes. And crazy town is not a place that you should ever go barefoot. So I am watching these women take off their shoes and like dance around on the dance floor in crazy town. When I see like broken bottles surrounding them, bar room liquids, God only knows what, whether they, you know, if you took a black light in there, it would expose some very, very problematic things. I am certain, but yeah, just seeing somebody being willing to run around the third floor of crazy town barefoot at the peak of crazy town is something that will haunt my memory forever. But I've honestly never, I can't think of a bad experience that I've had on a night out or at least, you know, one that I can't, that I can't remember. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means that I was too drunk to remember. Uh, most embarrassing thing that I've done here. Uh, I passed out in a bush. <laughs> I had to do television. Don't, don't tell our friends, Corey Curtis and, and Emily proud and Kayla Anderson, but I had to do television with news to early Sunday morning. And I went out of course on Saturday night and I got so just unbelievably intoxicated that I fell asleep in a bush in midtown and like woke up the next day at four or 5 AM, just still in my clothes from the night before surrounded by trash. Just it's as bad. Maybe, maybe that's also the worst experience that I've had. Just an unbelievable hangover and then had to pull myself together and schluff into the WKRN News 2 studios and act like some kind of professional. I think I pulled it off, if I remember correctly, but I'll, I'll never go back and look at the tape because it is, uh, it is definitely damning and incriminating evidence. But thank you, Puka, uh, for making me relive those memories. Finally, the last one, Josh underscore Shoop. Hey, Buck, I hope I'm in the right DMs this time, LOL, but here's the question. What do you think about Julio Jones to the Titans? Will that happen? Is that why J. Robin Vrabel didn't make it a priority to draft a wide receiver in the draft? Um, so I talked, I had, I had Arthur Smith on the radio show on, what was that, last Thursday. And I, you know, I was joking around with Art at the end because he wasn't going to answer a, a Julio Jones question. But I basically said, hey, Art, we'll send you Vrabel's chess pad that he works out, Daquan Jones, with. Taylor Lewan and Will Compton's bus and a first round pick for Julio Jones. And he basically just laughed me off and said, shut up, Buck. <laughs> basically the answer that I got from former Titans offensive coordinator, now Falcons head coach, Art Smith. But the Julio thing, you can make it work financially. Uh, they would tell you that they're exploring all of their options, which is the, the general response that they give you. But... 
I don't think it's realistic at all. You're talking about $23 million in, in cap hit that you would have to absorb unless you restructured Julio as soon as you traded for him, which would only make the cap hit worse in future years. So the Julio thing, it's, it's a lovely idea. I know there are people in the Titans facility who want it badly to happen. I also think that it's completely unrealistic and that if you end up getting a wide receiver, it'd be somebody who ends up cut on the free agent market instead of Julio, who is not going to get cut because then the Falcons would owe him $40 million and they're not going to do that. But I, uh, I appreciate the passion, Josh, and I uh, you know keep hope alive. <laughs> Should be the theme of this podcast. Keep hope alive, baby. Never say die. That's what we do here on the 615 Sessions podcast, and we have done it again successfully for another week. Subscribe, rate, review, unsubscribe, resubscribe to the A to Z Sports Podcast Network where you get this podcast each and every Tuesday. The radio show this week is going to be a lot of fun. Will Compton is going to be on the show. Darren Bates is going to be on the show. Coach Mack, as always, if you want the podcast of my radio show, if you can't listen from 10 to 1 on 104.5 The Zone, go check it out. The Buck Rising Show in your favorite podcast app. As always, submit questions for next week in my Instagram DMs at Buck Rising, R-E-I-S-I-N-G. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you again next Tuesday. In the meantime, stay safe, stay clean, stay vaccinated. And stay hot. This has been the award-winning 615 Sessions podcast powered by the fine folks at Two Rivers Ford from the DraftKings Sportsbook Studios and brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports, Nashville.com.